And I'm going today to the to, to the therapist, to the physical therapist, which is something called the Vestibular Diagnostics and Rehabilitation Center. They they should really have a great vestibule, actually, if you think about it. Was it a bear? It's a bear. There were no bears in San Francisco. I saw a really hairy guy. He looked like a bear. It's the mid-August Glop Culture. I am John Podhoritz in New York with Rob Long in New York in a semi-recumbent position. Well, I was in a semi-recumbent position. I'm sitting up for, for this, which is like a transition time for me. We all know that Rob was a, was a COVID hero, and he is now a, a vestibular hero. <laughs> yeah, he is yeah, now yeah. a hero of, of the vestibular system, uh, survivor of a vestibular. I don't know about survivor. Okay. A, uh, I got COVID, and 10 days later, I was fine. And Ten days after COVID. And yeah. this is like at least, this is almost three weeks later, and I'm, 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 uh, I'm. Um, I can't. I, I cannot report great improvement. Okay, but you know, not all heroes wear capes, is what I'm True. saying. And the person who knows that better than anyone is comic book enthusiast Jonah Goldberg in Washington. Hi, Jonah. Not since a news report on special report on Fox News referred to me as Twitter user Jonah Goldberg <laughs> <laughs> when I was already a Fox News contributor. But they used in a news piece. Doug McElway referred to me as Twitter user Jonah Goldberg. Um, have I been so generously described um, on a podcast? So thank you. Great, Jonah. To be here. You were one of those. You were one of those people. I think we've talked about this before, but you were one of those people who had little clear baggies, and you took a comic book, you put them in the in the comic book in the baggie. Oh, you wow. sealed the baggie and you put it in the box. And you saved it, and you made money off of these. Am I well, correct? I mean, it, well, if there was a wealth tax, um, the government would think I'd made money. But they are, in fact, <laughs> just in the other room sitting in a box. Really? Um, you have not monetized them yet. I have not monetized them. Um, and, really? And they're a depreciating asset because I don't take care of them the way I should. Um, not like our, our friend Cliff Asnes, who has them. Basically, at the end of the walkway and get smart, and then under yes. glass. <laughs> yes. But the value of his are a little greater than the value yes. of mine. I was in high school, maybe, maybe I don't know, like first to ninth grade or something, and I had a friend who was a comic book collector. Oh, loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. And I kind of didn't know. Like, I was one of those weirdos who just kind of read. Kind of read them when I was growing a little bit, but I preferred Archie comics and Richie. That Rich. shock me. Yeah, um, and but I wanted I wanted to look cool. Yeah, little, little yeah, yeah. That was I wanted to look cool, so uh, I wanted I want to learn. So I said like, so what, what what is what are these? And he was explaining them to me, and he had a box, and the box was this wooden box that his brother, older brother, had been collecting. So you know, this is a collection worth a lot of money. And I guess, and they were on their little um, plastic sleeves, like I guess the way heroin users keep their heroin. And I removed one very carefully, and he said, uh, be, be, "Be careful! Be careful with it! Be careful! Be careful!" And I had it there, and I and I just opened it a little bit. He goes, uh, "Don't you know what? Don't um, don't open it." <laughs> and I said, "Well, how am I gonna? Don't read it. I'll t- I'll tell you what happens in it." <laughs> and he kind of took the comic book and moved it away from me like it was like I was a baby and it was matches and he said okay <sighs> the Justice League and then I was stuck for like two hours while he went through <laughs> all of it which so is know, why I have uh, flashbacks on this podcast as you now understand so you know my friend uh, Jonathan Last who is uh, works at the Bulwark and uh, does the Sub Beacon podcast is like uh, you know grew up as a, as a uh, comic book nut and uh, even now, uh, I, I can end up having sort of Twitter conversations with him that go in, in extremely strange directions. Because uh, I was having this, I was like, eh, you know, I watched, uh, or I saw, I went to the movie theater and I saw Suicide Squad and I thought it was pretty bad. I thought it was pretty, pretty stupid. Uh, and then uh, Jonathan... Uh, 
Jonathan basically goes into this whole explanation about how he was really impressed because as it was a semi-reboot of the original oh, Suicide man. Squad, but what it didn't do was bring in the canon of the Suicide Squad that preceded it and therefore allowed for an independent story off of the canon, it was it created a whole new set of possibilities for DC Comics, and I'm like, man, I am so out of here. Yeah. I am so out of here. But Jonah, I want to. I'm having a dim memory of the fact that maybe 20 years ago, you got really mad at me on the corner. Possible. Because I had said something rather slighting or you know contempt contemptuous about comic books and superheroes and people who collect them and all of that. And and you said something like, I don't know what your problem is with this. It's so and blah. And it, it, it is true that in the world of sort of my own snobbery or, you know, the world in which everybody is a snob, everybody has the things that they define themselves against or, you know, think that create a system of superiority to. When I was a kid, I had made this decision around the age of like 11 or 12 that comic books were beneath me. And now at the right. age of 60, I really enjoy a lot of these comic book movies, which I never in a million years would have anticipated. Um, and I can enjoy them because I don't know where they're on canon, they're off canon, they're using mm -hmm. apparently yeah, the right. villain in in the Suicide Squad, the new movie, is a giant alien starfish. And that apparently is like, wow, I can't believe James Gunn, the director, really used Starro from the 1986 <laughs> iteration of this. Because, you know, that was really, ooh, that was a daring move. Because, you know, Starro, very controversial figure in the villain, DC villain comic book universe. So I don't know anything about any of that. So I just come at it fresh. And I'm not haunted by... Right. Where it does or does not violate. Isn't that better? Isn't that yes. better? I so, have you ever, see the, ever seen the opera Pagliacci? Yes. Like, I saw it once. I think I was a kid. I was in, I was in high school or junior high, and I had to see it for some reason. I think it was like a class thing. And I just was like, you know. Uh, but then they sing, I think it's Pagliacci. They sing the song, the aria, Vesti la Juba, I think, or something like that. And it, it's. It's the, from the Rice Krispies commercial. No more Rice, Rice Krispies. Krispies. No more Rice Krispies. We're in another Rice Krispies. My tears will not stop until I hear snap, crackle, pop. We're out of rice krispies. It's like, wow, I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, of course, all of those Bugs Bunny cartoons, right? Yeah. It's taught us all classical music, you know. So the Rabbit of Seville, the rabbit of what's Seville. opera doc? Anyway. It, before we go too far afield in this, I, I should have some right of response to this <laughs> yes. meandering diatribe against something I held so dear for so yes. long. Yes, well, that's why I'm bringing so, it up because I feel bad Meandering diatribe, by the way, is kind of his industry. It's, and it's also the worst kind of diatribe <laughs> um, because it's really not about the thing you're diatribing at anymore. It's just – it's the joy – it's the journey yeah. um, when it's meandering. It's the spray. Um, it's my that, truth. Um, <laughs> so, like, you remember – I'm trying to think of the right analogy for this. The only one that comes to mind is – remember in Man Who Would Be King, one of the greatest movies ever made? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe the best. And how every time they go to a village and they liberate it, from you know whatever they the the villagers come out and say, oh the really bad guys are oh. just up the river they pee in the river enemies all around yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's always like the next tribe is the bad tribe yeah so I think this is true in life it's sort of like we're not allowed to tell Polish jokes anymore but like North Dakota I think South Dakotans tell North Dakotan jokes and Canadians tell Newfie jokes everyone needs you know as as Carl Schmidt said tell me who your enemy is and I'll tell you who you are so. All of the things that you say about comic book people, 
is what I, as a Marvel guy, think of DC people. <laughs> and, so you, and, are, you are slicing and uh, dicing it. <laughs> exactly. You. I mean, right. it's, 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 it's like what East, some East Coast Straussians think of West Coast Straussians. Um, and, um, and so I don't know jack all about the canon for Suicide Squad, and nor do I care. Um, my only complaint is I wanted that movie to be more entertaining, yeah. and I think it 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 failed in that regard. I, I, I I'm absolutely in agreement with you on it. Um, you know, there's this whole question, big Hollywood question. You know, because it came out, cost 108 million dollars. They released it to theaters last Friday, and they released it on HBO Max for free, and it underperformed. By which they mean that they projected that it would make 30-some-odd million and it made 20-some-odd million for a movie that cost $200 million. Right. And uh, my experience of the movie was that, unlike a lot of these things, you sort of leave it and you go, oh, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really care. I don't know. It's like basically two hours of coming up with creative ways to eviscerate bodies. Yeah. I mean, it's just like there are hundreds of killings on screen. It's like bodies being pulled in half and like and split sort of vertically as opposed to horizontally and then split horizontally as opposed to vertically. And, and, and I, I have a bit of a theory about this. Yeah. Um, I think that, first of all, Jamie Gunn, right, he had um, – he had a vision about what this thing was supposed to be, and I That's think the writer director, yeah, right. And it was it was a little bit like, what if we did sort of Guardians of the Galaxy, but not so Disney and nice, yeah. But I also think he was he took the wrong signal from the boys, the Amazon show, right? Which I do think succeeds, mm-hmm. and is also yeah. crazy, bloody, violent in all the ways that you were describing about Suicide yeah. Squad, but. One of the reasons why, like, Suicide Squad kind of wants to have it both ways. It wants to be realistic and cartoony. And with the boys, the whole point of it is, is that it's realistic and, re- and, and, and shows you how terrible super, superheroes would be if they, if they really existed. If they really were, because yeah. they'd yeah. be narcissistic. Yeah. They'd be bullies. You know, horrible people for the most right. part. And, right. and the, 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 the Suicide Squad sort of starts with that kind of premise about how these are all bad guys, you know, and they set you up about how Idris Elba was a bad dad and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, DC, like, wants this to also be comic booky redeeming, yeah. and you're not supposed to care about the violence. And you can't do boys, the boys half-jokingly, half-cartoonishly the way Gunn does, and I think that's why it fails. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the it boys, be, yeah, go ahead. It must be, a, 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 you know, the, the audiences do get, tired of a thing mm-hmm. and they have right. too much of it and it's not that they don't not that the, the thing itself isn't fun anymore it's just that they, you don't hear the music anymore and yeah you could i could say ah oh, you know this movie that you this superhero movie you didn't like frame for frame moment by moment it's like as exciting as that the one you did like and you're like yeah but i already saw the one i did like and i don't want right. to and it and the problem is i mean the, the good news is that with 700 million billion channels you can probably Always find the thing that you want. If you still are interested in a thing in a genre, you can always find it. The downside is this particular genre is insanely expensive. So you probably can't. Right. Well, so The Boys is really a superb show that not a whole lot of people are going to be able to watch. Right. There are a whole lot of people for whom it is just way too violent and way too dark. Like, it is it is kind of unredeemably dark. I'm the world's greatest superhero. I can do whatever the f*** I want. And, and, and in that sense, it's very committed to what it is, and it is a very interesting iteration of this form. But you can't really go down that road too often. There's a there's a there's an animated version of it on Amazon. Well, I guess Amazon's also I think it's Amazon. Also there's an the animated boys. version of the boys on Amazon. No, there's a show called Invincible on Amazon, yeah. an uh-huh. animated show, an eight episode show, which is also about a world of superheroes in which one superhero, it turns out, is basically like a 
Nazi eugenicist and is taking care of all the other superheroes, and his son doesn't really know it's him. And again, it's a it's it's a cartoon, and it is unbelievably violent, and so it is committed, like artistically committed to its vision, right. but limited in terms of its audience. And Suicide Squad is an effort to make Deadpool in the DC universe. Like Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds made Deadpool. It's a hilarious, insanely violent comic book movie about a unwilling superhero who thinks he's a bad guy, but actually isn't really that bad a guy. And most of it is just really, really funny. And that's what Suicide Squad is supposed to be. But, like, I don't know, it's it's a bummer. Like, it doesn't, and it doesn't make you feel good to watch it. It doesn't make you feel anything to watch right. it except, can this be over soon? <laughs> kind of. That is, that is, I guarantee you, that is not what they're going for. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not as harsh on it as you are about that. I like, I, uh, there was something about it. That I found, I was I remained curious about what happened next. And every now and then, there were characters that I felt somewhat charmed by, uh-huh. including you know, for big chunks of it, I was kind of rooting for the starfish, to be brutally honest. Uh-huh. And um, but that's not how I feel about this other show, which I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, White Lotus. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where so far I'm I'm not up to date yet, but I'm like three or four episodes, two or three at uh, three or four episodes in. I hate everybody, and I hate everything about it, and yet I can't look away. We should we should get into White Lotus, but before we do, let me tell you guys about Wild Alaskan, which I think Jonah really should be the reader of because he is, of course, married, married to an Alaskan, has spent a lot of time in Alaska, loves Alaska, but I am going to read it anyway. Because I got the email. So you're used to having a lot of choices when it comes to what you eat, but it matters where your food comes from. Get your nutrition from nature. The Wild Alaskan Company sources wild-caught seafood from Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably-sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. Choose from salmon, whitefish, or a combination with different specials to explore every month. Each shipment contains premium, wild-caught, individually-wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be, always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime, and they offer... 100% 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Get your nutrition from nature with Wild Alaskan Company. And right now you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash plop. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash plop for $15 off your first box. Wildalaskancompany.com slash plop. Make sure to use our URL to let them know that we sent you and we thank Wild Alaskan Company for sponsoring the glop podcast. Rob, Wild Lotus, White Lotus, not Wild, Wild Lotus was a, Wild Lotus was a softcore porn movie of the late 80s, early 90s with Mickey Rourke. Believe it or not, Mickey Rourke was once a kind of softcore porn star. For sure. If you've seen him lately, that's a little hard to believe. I believe it. Yes, but anyway, White Lotus, you have seen it. Yes, I, I, I yeah, I'm sorry, I have, I have in fact seen it. Um, I am... I mean, it's difficult for me actually to be objective because Jennifer Coolidge is a dear friend, so um, and she's great in it. So I, yeah, I, okay. I like it, and I and I um, and I'm uh, I have been a fan. I've been a hopeful fan of Mike White, who is the impresario of the show, the writer and director, the writer and director, um, uh, because he's he, he's done some 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 movies that I really 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 enjoyed. Uh, and I thought, okay, this is somebody who's got a story to tell, and I kind of like him. Um, he did a, a movie a while ago called uh, Orange County, mm-hmm. which is kind of an obscure movie, but it's actually a lot of fun um, and um, and well written and, and a really great cast. Uh, and so I'm sort of I'm I'm predisposed to like it. I can see why it might be irritating uh, for some people. I I have enjoyed it, but as I, as I say. One of the reasons I've enjoyed it is because Jennifer Coolidge is a dear friend. Okay. Well, Personal let friend, me just so. say, so so Mike she's, White, she's the, writer, yeah, the writer-director. She's a friend. Uh, is Jennifer Coolidge a friend? 
Ah, and that was Jennifer Coolidge's a friend. Was that the no, soundtrack from the uh, softcore porn movie? That, that, that's that, actually that, my, that my was, physical was, therapist calling me to confirm. And then Jennifer <laughs> Coolidge walked in the door. Rob, I need you to find out who killed my sister. Anyway, no, so so Mike White also – the thing that Mike White did just before this, or a couple of years before this, is a movie called Brad Status with Ben Stiller, which is about a guy who is taking his son to Harvard for a college interview. It is one of the best movies of the 21st century. Brad yeah, Status, go talented. find it. It is a remarkable piece of work. It's uh, it's a movie about status anxiety, je- je- intergenerational jealousy. And um, and it's very funny. It's very moving. It's very touching. He also wrote School of Rock. He's had a very interesting, peculiar career. Yeah. He's been on Survivor. He's been his on The dad. Amazing Race. Yeah, his dad, who was Jerry Falwell's speechwriter until he <laughs> came out of the closet. <laughs> his father came out of the closet. And then Jerry Falwell said, well, I'm going to go to somebody I know isn't going to come out of the closet. Jerry Falwell Jr. <laughs> anyway, that's going to settle that's that. Right. Anyway, Not Mel White was down. his father. And uh, anyway, so so the White Lotus is about three different entities, families, who come to spend a week at a hotel in Hawaii, uh, at a ultra-luxe resort in Hawaii. It was made during the pandemic as a pandemic piece of programming. And what's interesting about it is there are these three. There's 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 the Sheryl Sandberg family, not so named, but Connie Britton basically plays Sheryl Sandberg. Steve Zahn plays her husband, and their two children and their and their daughter's friend come to the hotel. Right then, you have a newlywed couple, Jake Lacey and Alexandra Daddario. He's incredibly rich. She's a freelance journalist. She's hot as a pistol. He is like a bro jerk Wall Street guy. And he is consumed with the fact that he didn't get quite the suite that he wanted. And in the middle of the show, his mother, played by Molly Shannon, who is a, a dear friend of mine. Rob. Molly is Molly's a dear friend. She's a, dear friend. a very dear friend. Anyway, uh, shows up to, uh, to have hijinks. And then Jennifer Coolidge, who I don't know if you know this, is Rob's dear friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jennifer friend. Coolidge comes by herself to spread her mother's ashes and starts getting involved with a the head of the spa at the resort who uh, who is gives her a really great massage and she decides should open a wellness center with her and he is the older brother from Napoleon Dynamite who is that guy ah okay so wait I don't get that's I don't I don't don't get nothing well, I'm kind of slipping, sliding because I don't know who you're. T- I don't know who you're talking about on the you, show. You mean the you mean the hotel manager? No, because she's she the, the. I know who John's talking about, but but you were talking about two the women, and guy. then he said the brother. The bald, the bald guy is the old, older brother from Napoleon Dynamite. The yeah, he's the guy older brother from Napoleon Dynamite. Fair with. Yeah, right. What the heck are you guys doing? Trying to ruin my life and make me look like a friggin' idiot? I don't make him some sweet moolah with Uncle Rico. Okay. That's a third character, right? Oh, that's sorry. I don't know. Spoiler alert. He's from Napoleon Dynamite. My God, he's, he's like two hundred years old now. Yeah, he's the older. Well, that was two hundred years ago. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Anyway, so that's the story, and it's interesting because it was filmed during the pandemic. So if you watch it really closely, uh, no one is anywhere near anyone else. Yeah. They right. have conversations. <laughs> They're like sitting at the Four Seasons in Maui, which is where it was filmed, having which conversations. Was empty. Across the pool from each other, it's right. like how a lot are of you? single shots. I'm fine. How are you? Like that. a lot of singles, a lot of single shots, a lot of reactions. Yeah, and I, I suspect that is one of the reasons why. And I, I'm, I know I'm gonna, um, I'm not gonna say this again, but she's a dear friend. One of the reasons why a lot of these actors uh, are kind of experiencing this kind of moment. First of all, Mike White gets great performances out of people, but also like people like Jennifer Coolidge and Molly Shannon. Because they're in a lot of singles, and there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of they're on screen alone a lot, which is yeah. not normal. Um, 
and it and you kind of get a chance to watch Jennifer Coolidge do her thing, or Molly Shannon, who is incredibly gifted, very very funny person, and you watch her do her thing too. So um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, um, I, again, I have vertigo, so maybe yes. it's not as good, but it certainly seems good to me. Okay, so Jonah, I don't know why ship. you hate it and why yeah. you love it at the same okay. time. I, I say I love it. I say okay. I can't look away, which I right. can also say of various car accidents. Um, <laughs> and podcasts. Um, um, and, and certain podcasts. Uh, um, I, I'm not a huge like, – I, I love The Office, right? But the whole genre of friend shaming humor where you're embarrassed for other people who don't know they should be embarrassed for themselves – Cringe, I, cringe, the cringe, yeah. cringe. Yeah, I, I generally am not a huge fan of, and like sometimes it works well enough that the payoffs work. Like I like the movie Flirting with Disaster, um, but there's there's something about this which is very much rem- reminiscent of Succession to me, mm-hmm. where yeah. you're re- you're really not supposed to like any of these people, and I kind of feel. Like even even like even Rob's dear friend, at least you can tell she's a decent person in this, right? But she's also a hot mess as a, the character. Yeah, is. yeah, yeah. And there's almost like this neurotic thing that 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 HBO in particular is good at at putting out shows that allow generally bad people to feel morally superior and good about themselves because they're not as messed up as the people on the screen. And right. I don't love that stuff. My wife likes the show more than I do, but um, and also just it's so crude about all the sexual stuff and all that yeah, kind of yeah, thing. That's true. And um, um, and it, don't get me wrong, I, you know, if 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 it delivered laughs, I'd be okay with a lot of the crudeness. But when it like like the cursing in Veep, I think is friggin' hilarious. Um, from you know that Ohio congressman guy, mm-hmm. but like in this, the the conversation, particularly from the teen daughters, is more, or the dialogue from the teen daughters yeah. is more about it's it's more you know shock the bourgeoisie uh, cringe stuff than it is funny stuff, and that just bothers me. Can I give you my praise for White Lotus and then my complaint? My praise is that you're right that everybody is dislikable and but what's interesting about it is that mike white is a quiet pitiless satirist and nobody gets away scot-free so there's a there's a political dynamic in the cheryl sandberg family right and the political dynamic is that the that her college-age daughter is some kind of a woke leftist with a woke leftist a black friend who comes with her, and um, and she is full of contempt for her mother, and treats her mother like garbage. Uh, her father is off in his own solipsistic world. She has a, a younger brother who seems kind of troubled, and uh, while Cheryl Sandberg and her husband start complaining about the injustices being done to young white males like her own son because the world has changed and it's not being fair to them and the daughter says i think he's gonna be fine i think people (laughs) like us are just fine they're fine it's all fine which is funny and then the mother then turns on the, the daughter is like desperately trying to do ketamine and mm. is stealing her friend's boyfriends and is acquisitive and awful and mean and nasty. And the dynamic with this other friend is she's the rich one. Her friend is the poor one. Her friend gets to go where she goes and she gets paid for. But anything the friend has, including boys, she covets and gets. So despite being a wonderful woke leftist, she is actually as awful a person as everybody else is. And the the friend who is sneaking off 
to sort of have sex with a guy who works at the spa <laughs> decides <laughs> that the guy who works at the spa is a cologne is an oppressed colonial servant whose land has been he's stolen he's Hawaiian, from him. He's, he's, he's Hawaiian, Hawaiian, right. Whose land has been stolen from him by the powers that be who have now built this hotel. And that, therefore, he should probably go into Sheryl Sandberg's safe and steal her $75,000 bracelets. <laughs> because it's all the same. Right. All oppression is the same. And this kid, we haven't gotten to the end of the show, nothing good is going to come of this. He should go and steal the bracelets because she is just it, as it, irresponsible yeah, and manipulative I mean, as, as I anybody guess so, the, the shorthand I would say is that for people listening to this, I mean, you know, you don't want to talk about it too much, more, but, but is that it's not, it's not knee jerk wokeism. It's much better than that, and it has yes. a lot of That's funny fair. stuff that if you if you are paying attention to the culture, you'll think, oh, that's great. And you know that that is true for him in general. He had that with, um, I mean, Orange County, which I still think people should see. Yeah, he had that too. The parents, it's like these, you know, these incredibly selfish parents, and and it's great. It's really really interesting. I mean, anyway, so um, yeah, I I yeah. I. I, I, I Right. My complaint about, is that I only watch a few things in general, yeah. so I watched that and I liked it, but um, there you go. But my complaint about it is basically it's about 95 minutes of movie and six hours of television. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I don't know what to say about that. Like, it's a TV show that if it were a mo if it were an art house movie that was 100 minutes long, I would give it an Oscar. But there's a lot of shots yeah. of the ocean coming in and going yeah. out. And that is, I gotta say, that out. is COVID production values. Yes. You don't yeah. have people. You have no natural rhythm between the actors. Yeah. Because there's no natural rhythm. They're not on screen together. They're not. They're not necessarily on the set at the same time. And you have uh, no way to sort of know how much time you have because. Everything's slow, so uh, everything is going to be slow, and so you have to. The, the pace has to be slow all all throughout, so right. it doesn't stick out. So it is interesting. I mean, I bet you will look back on it and think, "Oh, there'll be a whole bunch of things that you know just from the watching with the sound off as a signature." Are like, "Oh, that was during COVID," yeah. and it's in the way that yeah. like you could you could tell uh, French movies made during the war, World War, or during the occupation. I just have a certain look. They're sort of cheaper, yeah. and there's no. There no everything's close up. There's no you know wide shots. There's no boulevard shots. Um, you just know. There's a great. It's funny because the maybe the best French movie ever made, Children of Paradise, was yeah, made right. during the war, and and there's a fantastic story about it. It's set. It's basically sort of like a Balzac novel. Balzac didn't write. It's yeah. set in like the 1830s or 1840s in Paris, and they had this problem while they were filming it, which is that there's a banquet scene in it. Okay. Rich and poor, and they had to basically post guards at the banquet table Kept eating the food. to make sure that the extras didn't eat the food because yeah. everybody in Paris was starving. <laughs> and th that, and even then, they had huge trouble getting anyone to sort of stay put during the big shot because, like the big crowd shots, you kind of need everyone in between takes and when you had to reload and stuff to not move. Because it's got to have some continuity, and the guys in the balcony. There's a big balcony scene with people leaning off of the top balcony, and there's like the banquet scenes and the big crowd scenes. Everyone was moving around all the time, and there's nothing to shoot. So like you have to go somewhere to show that there's been a change. Um, and if you watch it really close, I've seen the movie about twenty-seven thousand times. Yeah. You can see where they just kind of like, oh, come on, Francois. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a it's a glorious piece of work. I think it's on HBO Max, by the way, Children in Paradise. Anyway, with that, uh, let me talk to you about Star Mail. Free email services like Gmail and Yahoo aren't really free. You pay with your privacy, and since those companies have access to every email you send and receive, big tech can sell your data to the highest bidder. These companies know a lot about us, and it's disconcerting when you really think about it. Business plans, medical records, social security, and all kinds of sensitive information. They have access to far too much, and they can sell this data to target people with intrusive ads, which opens you up to identity theft and phishing attacks and more. Wouldn't you prefer a safer alternative? Of course you would. So trust Starmail to secure your email. 
Startmail keeps your email private, period. Every email is encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. And when you delete an email in Startmail, it's gone forever. They use their own servers, not Amazon's which means they can't be put out of business like Parler was. Switching over is seamless, too. You can easily transfer all your current email data so there's no starting from scratch. Startmail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You get unlimited anonymous aliases. This feature protects your main email address from spam and phishing attacks. So when you're giving your email to a company but want to protect your identity, Startmail can generate shareable alias emails so people cancel your information and they can be deleted anytime. Your cybersecurity has never been more at risk. Email snoops and scammers are taking advantage of the pandemic as phishing has skyrocketed in the last year. Take control of your privacy with Startmail before it's too late. Sign up today and you'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash clop. That's startmail with a T, S-T-A-R-T-M-A-I-L dot com slash clop for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash clop. And we thank Startmail for sponsoring the clop podcast um so what else can we talk about what else can we talk about what else can we hate what else can we hate <laughs> I don't know. I don't, what I else can i who else do i hate what else can i say that's negative <laughs> i i don't know i don't i'm not feeling especially negative um I, mean, I, do, I hate Ben and Jerry. I mean, oh, I hate yeah. Ben and Jerry. Uh, can I ask you, like, did you um, – I heard that. Did you? Uh, did you? Did you? Did you hate Ben and Jerry? Did you guys hate – or how did you – how did you – what was your initial reaction to the Cuomo resignation? Because I was having – Lunch with a friend of mine yesterday, and he said um, it felt fantastic. He said he was embarrassed to say it was magnificent, and he watched the whole thing, and he watched the whole, and he loved all of it. And I have to say, my actual reaction was sort of indifferent. I mean, I don't. It doesn't feel like a you know Schadenfreude moment for me. Although I'm not like not not like I'm above those, but I just didn't feel it. It isn't authentic to say I felt Schadenfreude because I didn't. I um. I had already come to the conclusion that this was inevitable. And if anything, I'm mildly disappointed that he's not being impeached, tried, and removed. Mm-hmm. Because that would be that would be what I would really have loved to have seen. Because the impeachment, had it happened, wasn't just – and Jonah wrote a whole really great thing about this yesterday – wasn't just going to be about these 11 uh, allegations of – uh, you know, harassment conduct, right. bullying conduct, sexual conduct, but would also have brought in the nursing home deaths, the lion, and the, yeah. and the mis and the misuse of personal staff to write his <laughs> five million dollar memoir, right. which I think we can all agree are vastly worse crimes in some ways than the harassment stuff. And so he resigned essentially over the harassment stuff. And so in that sense, I'm disappointed that we did not get a, we are not going to get a full airing in a, in a, in a forum where he cannot hide yeah. about, about the nursing homes. But what's yeah. interesting is about him is like, you know, I, I get a sense having never met him. He is not a dear friend. I, I have to say just on the outset, I don't know him. He's not a friend. Um, is that uh, he? He's a very ambitious guy, and even the, in the TikTok of of the Times piece yesterday, the day before, uh, uh, which I sort of kind of half read because the print is too small. Um, it, he he kept groping for a way back. Like I don't know if he's done. I think he thinks that there's a you know he's going to live to rise again and and fight another day. It's like there, guys are, like are, that. Are these are, are these entendres deliberate groping for oh, a way yeah. back? Oh yeah, I guess like I guess rise they are. again, rise I mean, again to yeah, fight right. another day. Um, to he's not going to let his future be embezzled. <laughs> by, uh, right, or 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 the facts or the statistics be uh, be um, uh, massaged. There you go. Uh, I think there's a there's a, there's a surprise to these guys, these especially guys like him who are so nasty, is they really don't know how hated they are. 
Like, I think it's going to be hard that hard that one day when he realizes, oh, wait a minute. Everyone hates me. Everyone hates me. And I think, I mean, I've seen that happen to sort of executives in, in show business sometimes when they'll get fired or it'll just be the, the, the contract's over or they've had a couple bad years, so they're going to leave. And then they think that they're going to go and have this great career afterwards. And they discover that, oh, no, 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 everyone hates you. They were just saluting the office because you were powerful and they hate you now. And I can think of one executive who actually went on like a six-month apology tour. And uh, after he left his big job, and he had to go to people that who hated him and sit with them and explain, oh, well, here, I, I didn't mean this, or I, I'm sorry, or and he went to one. And this person who told me this, who was even was even more awful and mean than he was, uh, didn't accept his apology because he realized he wasn't among the first dozen people this guy had come to, and he said that's insulting to me. I should have been at least one of the top five. Uh, and Joe, I just wonder if there's if there's any awareness if you're Andrew Cuomo of like no no everyone hates you, and they hated you before, and this has given them the opportunity to cut all ties with you. Do people feel that way? And you do, do you think he's has that moment? The three ghosts going to visit him at some point? Never. I got it. <laughs> never, yeah. not in a million, billion, zillion, quadrillion years. Yeah, but like never. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, it's like the, it's like Dumb and Dumber, right? Maybe a one in a, so there's a chance, so maybe a chance. one in a billion so yeah. chance, yeah. I mean, uh, I think the Cuomo story, uh, uh, pretty simply, is I'm sure he's thinking he'll live to fight another day. Uh, he's resigning rather than being impeached in order to make sure that um, he has a chance to revive himself. He might even be thinking, as somebody said to me yesterday, that if the gubernatorial race in New York next year is a disaster area, right. uh, that, you know, he can somehow come in in the late spring, uh, you know, on his white seat and say, look, you know, I, I'm a really great guy. I can really get things done. And look at all these schmendricks that are trying to get my office from me. And you don't really want any of them, do you? You want me? And then he can then you know, take over. Remember, uh, Anthony Weiner was uh, pretty seriously in the mix for mayor of New York after his resignation and disgrace from the House. And if he hadn't been, you know, if he hadn't started texting more children and sending pictures of his junk <laughs> over email, uh, you know, he might have prevailed. Uh, that's the thing about Andrew Cuomo is Andrew Cuomo can't not be Andrew Cuomo. And so he'll never be able to get back in the race without having mortally offended somebody or other right. and having that story leak. So I don't know. But what, yeah, where, I mean, that's I, where his mind is. I, think. I just, um, you know, he is one of the better examples of my views of non-theological, non-spiritual karma. And it's just that you constantly put into the universe crappiness where you build up negative social capital, negative personal capital, right. negative political capital to the point where vast numbers of people in your life are just those eyes out in the tree line at dark <laughs> waiting <laughs> for great. you to trip. That's a great you know? <laughs> and, and like, uh, I kind of hope that his self-awareness has a very long half-life before he actually comes to grips with this. Because it, 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 he, the way this should have ended, and again, I give him, I don't want to say a pass because it was grotesquely incompetent, but I don't, I, I, I don't think he's guilty of deliberately putting people in nursing homes to kill them. I think that was just yeah. a grave error. Right. But he, during a pandemic, but lying, lying about it is not just like lying, lying is bad. During a pandemic, the whole reason we have a federalist system is that you have uh, you 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 have exam model examples where people do different things, right? And then you learn from mistakes and you learn from successes. And if you lie about the mistakes for your to sell books and to be popular, that you know are going to result at 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 some margin more people dying. Because you're hiding this information. That's just, that's evil, right? And right. This, the way this should have ended, as John says, was a long impeachment thing. 
And then I, I don't know who. Maybe maybe the new you know maybe Kokel, the new governor, or um, Marine Dowd. I don't know who it is, but there should have been some woman ringing a bell, walking behind Andrew Cuomo naked through the streets of Albany, just saying shame, 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 shame. Why are you punishing the citizens of Albany <laughs> as people uh, threw garbage at them? That's a Game of Thrones reference. Yeah, Rob. I mean, oh, I, I know, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it seems like the people of Albany were like, can can he can he at least wear a dance belt? No, I, I, how about this? <laughs> he should have to do the Walk of Shame after swimming in a very cold pool. Ah, so, excellent. <laughs> I told you my Robert Reich story, have I not? Former Secretary of Labor under Clinton. No, Robert, d- right? d- 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 does does it involve the song "Ding Dong the Witch Is Dead"? Um, no, but oh. it does involve "Ding Dong." I was involved the phrase which Please. I used to write all the time. Uh, I had to stay on my toes like Robert Reich at a urinal. Uh, no, it had nothing to do with his height. Uh-huh. I was at the uh, the the the. A famous um, Esalen Institute in Big Sur, which is like this uh, very uh, 60s, 70s human potential camp in Big Sur where you go and you do yoga and you can do all sorts of stuff. That's where Don a, Draper came up with the Coca-Cola. exactly where Don Draper came up. That's the last scene for the for that, that show is Don Draper in and it's the first And it's the first scene in Bob and Carol in 10 now. Right. And I, I was there, and they have these beautiful um, – uh, natural sulfur springs that come right out of the out of the mountain, and they have these incredible like tubs and pools and things. And it is in fact um, clothing optional because of all the hippies that you want, you know, all the hippies want to be clothing optional all the time. Um, and in, like every other one of those places, the people who choose the clothing optional option, meaning they're not wearing clothes, are never the ones <laughs> that you want. Want. Um, uh, and I, just for the record, uh, I'm not claiming to be somebody that you want to see naked, but I was not naked. I was wearing a bathing suit in one of the pools, and it was fantastic and so relaxing that I was kind of falling asleep there. And, like, the, the, the waves are crashing below, and it's just – it's a gorgeous place, really. And I was, like, you know, thinking, and I kind of shut my eyes a little bit. And then there was a rustle next to me, and I opened my eyes. and it, Looked like a very large coconut, uh, and it was former Secretary of Labor Robert Reich naked. Um, and I, th- he, either he was naked or he was wearing a leotard made out of fur, because <laughs> it was shocking to me it was an e- that I didn't it was think it was an Ewok. Yeah, I didn't think. If you've ever dropped a piece of gum out of your mouth into, like, underneath the sofa, and you get uh, it, and uh. it's covered in dust and fur or whatever, that's what it was. Uh. Uh, and it was shocking. And it was so shocking that I just I, – I didn't know what to do. I just sort of sat there for a while, and then and then I said something stupid like, uh, well, that's, that's uh, certainly hot enough for me. And I sort of said some weird pleasant – and I got out of there. Um, but I have never been able to shake that that – image and even now um it's making my vertigo worse it's too bad this isn't a lead into a harry shave commercial because we could like, they don't talk about they it. don't they don't manufacture a tool with that kind of um power maybe immigrant can get some sort of you yeah. know uh pruning garden shear yeah product line yeah, so. I, I consider this all rank anti-Semitism, total and complete <laughs> anti-Semitism. Yes, some of us Jews have a lot of back hair. It's true. Oh, oh. Deal with it. Oh, John. Deal with you, it. You, you know have no it idea. You know what it means? You know what it means? The testosterone is flowing thick and heavy through us. That's all I'm going to say to you. We are testosterone laden. I, we, we, we. We could help you with your testosterone level, is all I'm saying. If only I would just stay in the pool with you. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I wear I now wear one of those UV shirts uh, all the time, so you would never actually have to see the horror of me. Put it this way: if if I were of a certain type sexually, and I went to Provincetown, I would win the King of Bear Week. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I just want you to know that. I would, me and Robert Reich, we would be way up there in the yeah. bear week he, No, Robert Reich is what they call a pocket gay. Like a little gay guy is a pocket gay. But I do, I, since you mentioned Provincetown, I did, well, you know, the, 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 we should just, I mean, we don't have to write COVID, but there's that, you know, the COVID breakthrough cases took place in the, the, the big ones that uh, of, of uh, vaccinated people testing positive for COVID at, and, the, and, the, and the population was, was Provincetown, which is a sort of a Cape Cod gay resort. I mean, that's not, it's like an old fashioned Cape Cod gay resort where a lot of older gay, like, uh, as you put it, bears go. Well, it was Bear Week. It was, it was Bear Week. It was literally Bear yeah. Week okay. where you go if <laughs> right. you have a lot but of hair. What's interesting to know is, like, for people who, are, who, who do not believe the vaccines are effective, if there is a vulnerable population to COVID, it is that one. They are certainly older, larger. These are, th- this is the target for COVID-19. Not one death. Not one death. Not one death. No. Nope. If, if the... If the vaccine can keep them alive, it can keep us all alive. Look, the, the claim was, by the way, that 450 people got breakthrough vaccine breakthrough uh, infections out of 936 tested. I don't believe uh, 936 I don't believe cases. It. I don't believe. I think that those people were lying about being vaccinated, or a lot of them were. Maybe, but yeah. in any case, either way, whatever the story is, nobody died. And I would have won Bear Week. That's all I'm saying. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you would have won it because there are probably other things it. associated with it. I don't. I'm on this way. I, I I don't think that you have the outfits. I don't think you have the outfits. <laughs> okay. Well, the outfit is you don't wear a shirt so that you can no. be measured as for right. your bearishness. That's, but yeah. you are wearing underwear, probably, and that's why I got to talk uh, to you about Tommy John. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> Tommy John! <laughs> you know, look, if it's 110 degrees in the shade or 100% humidity, it's no sweat if you're wearing the new Apollo men's underwear from Tommy John. Apollo is Tommy John's newest and most advanced men's underwear yet, with a performance-grade dry-release fabric blend that is exclusive to Tommy John. It's Tommy John's latest comfort innovation, and you can't get it anywhere else. Apollo men's underwear is proven to keep you drier and up to seven degrees cooler than regular cotton underwear. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Apollo underwear soft, supportive stretches for the perfect fit every day and is available to up to size 4XL. With over 50 million pairs sold, men across America love Tommy John underwear because there's no more flopping, sticking, or chafing. And like all Tommy John underwear, it comes with the best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. Right now, get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash flop. Go to TommyJohn.com slash flop for 20% off. TommyJohn.com slash flop. See site for details and we thank Tommy John for sponsoring the flop podcast. So we are we are we are nearing we're rounding uh, rounding the, uh, the 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 bend here. And I can't first. imagine that there's anyone saying more of that, please. <laughs> From the moment we mentioned Robert Reich, Secret- former Secretary of Labor Robert Reich at Esalen, to this moment is a dark moment. This was cringe. This was podcasting <laughs> yeah. cringe. Cringe is one way to put it. I just want to say that if you were looking for a slogan for me, it would be smarter than the average bear. That's all that. I'm going to say. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. Jonah, um, you... Uh, <laughs> Where can people find you in in media circles where people watch people do things in uh, media? Uh, if you're just going to leave it at where can people find where you? Where can people find you? After this podcast, I would say cutting myself. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Nowhere, really. Um, I was supposed to be out of town starting tomorrow, but I'm not leaving till next week. So the Remnant podcast, the G file, the Dispatch—that's um, about it. And I'm happy about it. And Rob, people can find you in a semi-recumbent. Yeah, you can find me lying with my head between two large pillows so that my head doesn't move. Um, you can find uh, uh, Martini Shot podcast. You can absolutely find me there. Yes. Uh, and I'm a little—I'm behind. 
and I need to catch up. I have some, um, I just, it, it's actually hard for me to type. Um, and so there's been a lot of cutting and pasting with the martini shots, and it's just really super hard to, like, follow. And I'm making all sorts of mistakes. Um, I mean, I, I went, I read each word. I mean, when I just filed for commentary, I read each sentence, like, in big print, to, and I'm sure I made typos in it. And I didn't you see. Didn't, actually. Oh, but, yeah. well, that shows you the, 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 the power of the nomads. Um, so that's um, uh, so right. that's you can find me on Martini Shot, and I'm, right. I'm gonna do. I'll probably do a bunch um, this weekend or Monday, or maybe okay. even this afternoon after my physical therapy at the Equilibrium Institute. There we go. I do want to say I want to. I just want to source uh, why I keep saying we're semi-recumbent position. That is a line mm. from the importance of being earnest when uh, Lady Bracknell comes upon. Uh, Ernest proposing to her daughter and says, Arise, sir, from that semi-recumbent position. Wow, you are a bear. Spoken by Edith Evans. Sure. In the film version. Dame Edith Evans in the film version of The Importance of Being Earnest, I believe also on HBO Max, uh, maybe on, on Amazon Prime anyway. To my mind, one of the funniest movies ever made, and Edith Evans' performance as Lady Bracknell is the single funniest performance by a woman ever recorded on film. So there is a final recommendation to 1952, The Importance of Being Earnest with Michael Redgrave, Joan Greenwood, and Edith Evans. It is stunning. You can find me at the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast, uh, and we will be back in a couple of weeks for more repulsive content. <laughs> Look, if we do really well, if we do really well, we can make $930 million like Trey Parker and Matt Stone just made this week. Off yeah, we should talk Park. about that. We, next time we've got to talk about Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. But, you know, and, we're, we're and I'm Team Scarlett Johansson, by the way. I'm hashtag Me Team too. Scarlett. Yeah. She's so, absolutely so right. So she deserves the money. Right. They cheated her out of it, and yeah. they, they're going to have to pay. And we need to talk about Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Yeah. And what, what they have done over the last 25 years with South Park, it's a pretty astonishing story. So with that, we will we leave you wanting more. Or less. Yeah. Or less. <laughs> or just or less. Uh, go stare at a white wall to cleanse your internal uh, visions of what you've probably imagined. Smarter than the average bear. <laughs> okay, you brought that. <laughs> Hey, no, you could oh, you could go up to Robert Reich and say, "Hey, Boo Boo." Right. <laughs> My guess is that Boo Boo will uh, will sue you, <laughs> touching me inappropriately. Yes. <laughs> See you soon. Give me that picnic basket. <laughs> and I don't mean the picnic basket. <laughs> and I don't mean your sandwiches. Right. <laughs> <sighs> Good time. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She rolled my hair, put my lipstick on, in the glass of her boudoir.
Come, Yogi. Every day it's the same old thing. Look at the bears, look at the bears, look at the bears.